All right. Question seven for the catechism tonight. A short question. I cannot say the same for the answer. <laughs> Let's get started. So, question number seven. I'll ask the question, and uh, if everybody can give the answer. The question is, what is God? And the answer, we can read. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So if we were to uh, unpack this entire answer, uh, I don't know if any of you are uh, listening to seminar series. Uh, This is not necessarily a question on what are God's attributes, but there's a lot of intersection there, and we could spend literally a semester per answer here. Uh, we're going to try to get it get through it in 35 minutes. You can set your watches, okay? So we have um, uh, our scriptures there. We're, we're going to visit them when we come back uh, to those topics. Well, so the elephant in the room. What is the elephant in the room with this question? Paul actually stole my thunder a little bit this morning when he said it's kind of peculiar that we would ask what is God rather than who is God, describe God, what is God like, what are God's attributes. So that question, what is God, sounds impersonal, maybe uh, it just seems like a little bit off when you first look at it, but as we go through the answer, We'll see that it's actually a very good question, and it's not a question of tell me everything about God, but we will be covering a lot of territory. So, we could read in the answer that the very first part is that God is a spirit. We're going to talk about uh, God being infinite. We'll be talking about God being eternal, and uh, perhaps uh, the biggest challenge might be talking about his immutability, that God is unchangeable in his being, power, holiness, justice. I'm just reading the answer that we just read, justice, goodness, and truth. So let's dig in. Part one, God is a spirit. So how do we know God is a spirit? You know, we could say that, we're used to it, but let's go to the Bible. John 4, chapter 4, verse 24 And we read, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And many of you will recognize that this passage is coming out of the recounting of uh, Jesus meeting the woman at the well. Uh, Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem, and they decided uh, they were going to uh, Galilee. It took them through Samaria, and... When they got to Samaria, the disciples went into town, presumably for some food or something like that, and uh, Jesus is alone with this woman in the well, a woman at the well. I guess she wasn't in it yet. So um, the whole passage of the story, uh, and I shouldn't say story, it's a a historical recounting, uh, goes from John chapter 4, verse 4, all the way to actually to verse 45. And the one who is speaking these words has a certain credibility. It's Jesus himself that's speaking, and in fact, he's 
started uh, speaking in an answer to the woman uh, in verse 21. And actually, I want to read this short passage just as a, a reminder. So when we look at John chapter 4, verse 21, we read, Jesus said to her, and this is after they've already discussed uh, uh, the water in the well versus living water, and I don't have a husband, you speak right, you have five husbands, and the one you're with isn't your husband. And anyway, she realizes, she perceives he is a prophet. So Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it's now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so I could stop there as far as answering the question, but it's really, you got to read the next two verses uh, because they're there. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So, um, you are on low battery. Does that make a difference? Okay, we're not going to worry about it. So what we're seeing here is, um, number one, a a clear identification of God, and we're speaking of God the Father as being a spirit. Um, And what we find from this, and we talked about this actually a bit in Sunday school class today, that part of living our lives, pursuing God, living godly lives would entail living more in in more consideration of the spirit world it is there it is powerful and because it is there because god is spirit and this is where really the major activity is happening even though it's invisible to us uh we need to worship god not through repetitive sayings say the same sentence 50 times or uh, and and everybody's saying the same thing over years and years so when we worship we're worshiping in spirit we're worshiping uh in a spiritual manner and it's we can't entirely dismiss the physical the the words but where is your heart? So this is uh, part of what we take away from uh, God being a spirit. A couple of things uh, that go along with uh, attributes of God, that he's invisible, he's immortal, he's unfathomable. So invisible, we read in Hebrews, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And this is uh, the passage in the book of Hebrews. The writer is writing the hall of faith. So many people that displayed faith, even though uh, this invisible God uh, was, was not perceptible with the eyes. By faith, they 
uh, reacted to his commands. This is of Moses taking the Israelites out of Egypt. And we see for one of the first times in the Bible that, uh, that God is invisible. And we fast forward to the New Testament, to 1 Timothy, and this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to his protege Timothy and uh, kind of gone through some introductory statements. Uh, he's told Timothy to beware of false gospel being, being taught. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of warnings, and then <laughs> I love it when Paul does this. He kind of launches into a praise of God, and it's almost like he's not containable. Um, you, you'll see multiple passages throughout the Bible where he just starts going through the glory and the riches, and oh, and, and it's, it's fun to read. And here he's, he just he gets into one of to the king of, of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And uh, he just kind of maybe imagines his pen writing a little bit faster as he's writing this and, and uh, getting pretty excited. So when we look at uh, immortal, we look at, uh, again, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy and later on in that first letter that Paul wrote. Uh, we read, uh, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king and kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Uh, we're going to hit on particular topics, but if there's one thing that we can see in passage after passage is that God is unfathomable, all right? The minute we think we know exactly who God is, that we think, yeah, you know, eventually I'll know what God knows, uh, it's not correct thinking. Um, but the fact that God is just so beyond our imagination, we're, well, we'll talk a little bit about it. Um, when Isaiah writes, to whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? You know, here's Isaiah recognizing who God is and saying that, that there's just no way to compare him. And this is basically a summary statement of uh, chapter 40 of Isaiah starts out, uh, you know, there's some, some problems. Isaiah has just prophesied about the the Babylonian captivity that's going to happen about 100 years later. Um, and he brings up some issues, but then in, in verse 9 of chapter 40 and all the way through verse 18, he just uh, launches again a, a, just a, a string of accolades of who God is and how great he is and his summary statement we just can't, cannot compare God to anybody or anything. Uh, he writes later, um, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. This is a very familiar verse, I think, to, to all of you. For as far as the heavens are, or for, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So what's the difference between how God thinks and how we think. 
is it a multiple of five or 20 or whatever? What he's saying is that the gap between the way you think and what I think and what you know and what I know, that gap is as great as that distance from the, between the heavens and the earth, which is basically infinite, and that will be what we're going to come up with next. One thing about when we think about God being unfathomable, it just it kind of brought me uh, in memory to a time we were having prayer partners. Many of you are familiar uh, with the prayer partners ministry that we used to have. And this is a long time ago. So it's not anybody in this room, don't worry. Um, and I'm not going to be too rough, but uh, uh, one of our prayer partners had had a particularly rough week at work and he said uh he, you know he just he asked for prayer I, I need help you know things really a struggle there's just so much loaded on me and i can't keep up with the work and it's i'm just really tired and worn down and and so he said we pray for him and uh uh somehow we got into the conversation of well you know what are you doing are you are you praying during the week and he goes Let's just say that I had a talk with God, and I'm, I'm just going to say that uh, we made a deal. And I'm thinking as I'm moving my chair away from him a little bit to avoid the <laughs> lightning strike, that this is, and you know, it's, 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 it's funny on one hand, and, but it's more serious on the other hand, because here's a person that had an incomplete understanding of God, how do you think that you are going to negotiate with the one who he didn't just make your body and your brain; he made everything. I mean, think about how. Well, you know what? Let's just jump right into the fact that God is infinite and just get a little bit uh, boggled in our mind. So, what is infinite? It's anybody know what the number is? or infinite. It's an eight and you turn it on, it's <laughs> Yeah, it's actually, there's no such number. It's not in the, the numerical realm uh, because it's beyond uh, the concept of numbers. It's just something very, very large and unreachable. And when you think about this, there are a trillion stars in our galaxy and there are a trillion universes which I don't know if that's true or not but it seems like there's at least several more mm -hmm. and you know just having one just the, the Milky Way um, you travel from one end to the other and you know you're talking uh, billions and billions of light years and so by the time you travel from over you know basically billions of years traveling at the speed of light and you get to the other end of the galaxy, you've only scratched the surface of the size of the universe and the, how much more distance you have left to go? The same amount. You didn't get any closer to the end than when you started and you just spent a billion years traveling. That is the concept of infinite, is something that the mind can't totally grasp. We can talk about it, but you just cannot really grasp it. So Job in, uh, so Job was uh, getting run through the ringer by his 
friends and uh, his friend, I, and I'm forgetting, uh, is it Zor Zorpa? The, yeah, well, we'll call him Zorpa. It's the one with the begin, begins with a Z. In chapter 11, verses 7 to 9, uh, his friend says to Job, what he wants to say to Job is that, uh, you know, you've been unjust and you, you deserve infinite uh, punishment. But uh, what he continues on to say is, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. But back in that day, that's what they knew a lot about is the sea and the earth. And it was just a way of saying that it's beyond our imagination. So... Um, the infinite nature of God, one thing that kind of is helpful is that God isn't material because if he was infinite, there would be no room for us because he would be taking up the space. God is eternal. Again, this is not new to most of you in here, but what is eternal and eternal does not just go to the future, it goes to the past, but can we really get a handle on eternity because the concept is, is that eternity started before time and we don't understand that. We have sometimes a hard enough time understanding time, but to understand before time, well, what is that? All right. The eternal God, this is out of Deuteronomy, the eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he thrust out the enemy before you and said destroy. But here the emphasis for this uh, purpose here is the eternal uh, attribute of God. And in Psalm 90, again, this is a, a familiar passage. Many of you uh, are familiar with it. Uh, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from ever to everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And it's a way of the psalmist saying uh, or speaking of the eternal nature of God. So um, before... Uh, we jump into immutable, which is the you know finally the the last part of this answer. But how's it going? Baptist churches finally doesn't necessarily mean soon. Um, this is the other half. Um, when you look at the eternal nature of God, you have to consider. Well, how did where did God come from? And he is self-existent. If somebody had created God, then God wouldn't be God. There would be somebody greater if there was a maker. Because a lot of the figurative speech that we bring from the Bible, that he is the potter and we are the clay, just talking about how the creator, Romans 1, that the creator is greater than the created or the creation. So to be self-existent, which is how you could be 
eternal. We're going somewhere where we've never been. We, can, we cannot go back to before uh, the creation of the heavens and the earth in uh, Genesis 1-1 or John 1. So it's part of being unfathomable, the eternal nature of God. Oops, how do I back up? Uh, part of what is really amazing about trying to describe God is the fact that he is immutable or unchangeable. And it might be one of the um, like attributes that you put kind of near the bottom of the list is less important because you want to talk about how powerful he is. He created all the heavens and the earth and... Um, you know, you have this, again, trillions of universes and you zero in on our ga- gal- or galaxies and you zero in on our galaxy, which is just a speck, and then you zero in on our solar system, which is a speck of a speck of a speck, and then you zero in on Earth, which is even further a speck, and then you look at you, you know? You're, you're just, uh, how are you even visible? You're so small compared to the universe and um, for, for God to um, be able to pull together uh, something that is so beyond our comprehension, uh, you come back to the word unfathomable. So uh, getting back to the immutability, uh, James, you Again, many of these verses, you're familiar with them. We're putting them before you, give you a chance to, uh, to branch out uh, when you go and study these uh, back in your, your study time at home. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The imagery is of the sun, and the shadows and the sun will rise in the east and it will set in the west and they're predictable changes. So sometimes the sun's a little further south, a little further north. It creates shadows and shadows will change and shadows will go away when it's cloudy. And those are all changes, yet God, there's no variation or shadow due to change. Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. I guess we don't really need to uh, go further in the sense that this is pretty straightforward, very clear. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And in Psalm 102, verses 26-27, they will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. So when this talks about, when the psalmist says they will perish and you will remain, it would be helpful to have uh, uh, Matt Malekish here, but we're kind of describing a situation of entropy as it applies to people and it does not apply to God. So what is entropy in a nutshell? Think of it as there's a certain amount of energy 
Some of it is useful, some of it isn't. Something like, for example, gasoline has stored energy. And you can set it on fire or you know, blow it up in a piston and cylinder and it's going to run an engine. Something like noise, like what I'm making right now, uh, it's not going to run your car. It's energy, but it's not useful for accomplishing a lot of things that we do. And entropy is the, the state of energy overall going from useful to less useful to less useful. And over time, the uh, amount of useful energy would be less than the amount of useless energy or energy that we don't really have a way to harness. Is God like that? No. God started one way. He had a certain amount of energy, whatever, and, you know, infinite. And he created the universe. Did that, like, take it out of him like a boxer who's just gone through ten rounds and slugging it away? And when he comes out for the 11th round, he's really tired. He's spent, you know, pretty wasted. What's it like with God? No change. He's, you know, he, just go do it again. It's not going to affect at all his ability, it won't affect his will, it won't affect his purpose. So uh, that's part of God being immutable. So when we look at God being immutable, he's not constrained by time. Why would that be? Well, just so that we know that God's not constrained by time, in, in, in John chapter 17 we read, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence and the glory and with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Okay, so what year was that? All right, it's, it's before the heavens and the earth. So we're, we're going into uh, a realm that we were not in, and that was eternity past before the heavens and the earth were created. Um, just a, uh, one more passage just on not being constrained by time where uh, Paul writes to Timothy in his uh, final letter um, who saved us and called us to a, a holy calling this is uh, not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began again we're, we're talking about a, a time where we were not and, and cannot go but when you look at the immutability of God in this particular light, somebody might try to argue that God is, in fact, immutable, that he can change. But if he were to do that, he would suddenly be constrained by time. Because if he starts out one way and he ends up another way is almost like a philosophical uh, argument but it means time has passed because that's the only way that we can understand a change is that at one time you were this and at another time you were that and if God made a jump in how he is or who he is in time then he would be constrained by time but I'm going to go with something uh, a little bit better uh, his omniscience. And we read about God being omniscient, omniscient, meaning all-knowing. Uh, in First John, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he 
knows everything. Psalm 139, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. We can go through passage after passage of God's omniscience. So how does that apply to his immutability? If somebody wanted to argue that God can learn, then if he learns something new, that just means that he was not omniscient before. But we read that God knows everything. So the, the corollary to this is that God cannot learn. It sounds like a bad thing. Kids don't listen to this. Uh, God cannot learn. All right, you can listen again. Kids should learn. We are not immutable. We change and... Um, not always for the better. So, uh, when we look at just from the standpoint of God being constrained by time or God being omniscient, uh, these are two considerations in knowing and being comfortable with the fact that God does not change. So he doesn't change. Uh, if, if you remember at the, the very beginning, it's the answer where it says, God, going back to page 2, God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his number one being, number two wisdom, number three power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And we're going to, um, oops, see, I'm just in too much of a rush. Okay, so the wisdom of God, uh, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. This is the psalmist uh, writing of just how immeasurable God's wisdom is. We read in Romans 11.33, and this is Paul going on again, and I just can't help but get excited when I read him write, oh, the depth and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Two things here, number one, Paul is pointing out God's wisdom. But number two, you get an understanding that Paul gets it. If, if your life is not excited by the presence of God in your life, uh, that is not what we're reading here from the Apostle Paul. And uh, I think about listening to a, a seminar series by Steve Lawson. Uh, Steve Lawson is on the uh, Ligonier.org website, uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, when he was with us. And in that seminar, Steve Lawson starts out talking about the attributes of God, and he said that uh, you're the the output of your life will be proportionally dependent upon how well you know God. So how well do you know God? If you don't ever ponder his almighty power, El Shaddai, if you don't comprehend the fact that he is not changeable, and I'm so thankful that he isn't, because if he was a moving target, what do we have? You know, we just grasping air uh, like uh, Dulcinea. So um, 
the, the, the way we, we view God, if we, he talks about um, a, uh, a continental divide. And if your thoughts are on one side of the continental divide where you really don't think highly of God, he's, you know, your ATM machine, he's the one that's going to help you out of every jam, something like that, that is all man-centered thinking, and you're going to go in that direction, and life will not be fulfilling. If instead you think about God and virtually everything that you do, and you recognize his presence, and you recognize whether you're about to go to sleep or you're just waking up or you're playing a sport or we talked about being at work today. Just because you're at work doesn't mean you can't praise God all the day. It doesn't have to be to everyone in there. You can just be, uh, I hum songs like all day long and everyone's used to it at work for me. Um, But uh, if your heart is set on the Lord, then you're on the other side of that continental divide and you flow to God-centered thinking and a fulfilling life. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be comfortable. It doesn't mean everything is peachy keen or hunky-dory. Not at all. But the better you know God, the more you can find that, that peace that surpasses all understanding. You find that joy. You gain patience, um, you know, the fruits of the Spirit. So, if we look at the power of God, you know, we talked about that a little bit, but uh, here we read in Revelation uh, chapter 4, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So there's a lot in that particular verse uh, referring to he was, he is, he will be. Uh, it's a statement on, on uh, his eternal nature. But I think more than anything, is this is the Lord God Almighty. And there is none like him. Uh, we witness his power just by witnessing his creation. If we look at a single atom and we look at splitting that atom and the amount of power that you get out of that that's something that God made and we're made up of a whole bunch of them the amount of energy in our in our bodies is can, would be mind blowing if we broke it down atom by atom I don't feel like I have that energy but it's, it's there um, the holiness of God uh, again further in Revelation who who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Uh, God's holiness, um, I'm glad it's there, because if there was a being that had uh, close to the power that God had, and it would, but without holiness, it would be a problem. Uh, possibly. Probably. Holiness, perfection, purity is governing God's power, it's governing his knowledge, it's what uh, gives him wisdom. Uh, these, These attributes, again, we can work 
towards holiness, uh, but God is never going to sin. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit never will. Uh, even though we are saved, it doesn't mean that we won't sin. Uh, you know, First John talks about when you sin, not if you sin. And it, it's not a license to sin. It's just, you know, read, read the rest. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, God is holy, God is just. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, says the psalmist. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. God's goodness. Uh, again, I, these are just like cherry picking some passages, but just in case you never really uh, sought out passages to support uh, what God is, Luke eighteen nineteen. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So when he's talking to the rich man and, you know, asking questions, bless you. Um, God's truth. Out of Isaiah, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Um, if God were not entirely truthful, I mean, imagine if he said something like, actually, Jesus wasn't your savior. Um, just Christianity, everything would, would crumble. Eternal life would crumble. It's just nothing would make sense. So what I threw out there was one of those, is God able to make a rock that he cannot lift kind of, Scenarios, which is an absurdity. It's an absurd statement, and they're not worth addressing. <laughs> so, I really just actually I got through that a lot faster than I thought. I thought it was going to take till 11 p.m., but <laughs> I went. You know, I zipped through a lot of subjects on the nature of God, and we didn't even talk about Him really being. Uh, the creator, we didn't really talk much of, about him uh, being uh, omnipotent, being omniscient. We, you know, we touched the surface, but the if I had a, a summary statement, it is that God is incomprehensible. God is good. God is good, not because something happened to me that is good. And if you've heard a lot of people say, you know, this happened. And I, I, I don't, I'm not disparaging this, but something good happens to it. Let people know. Praise the Lord. But sometimes I hear God does this to me. God is so good. And I'm thinking it wasn't because what God did for you that he is so good. He's so good anyway. Whatever happens to me and so again, the summary statement that um, God is good and God is incomprehensible and that we should allow that to be what it is, understand what we can. There is sufficient scripture to exactly tell us how to live our lives. So. I will take uh, questions, comments on anything. Jeff.
makes me think about uh, we're doing a small group on uh, I of course can't remember the name of the book right now, but <laughs> Behold Your God. Oh, Behold Your God. Yes, thank you. Um, and this last week it went over the Book of Job a little bit and it took it kind of made me think about how uh, the last it took Job the last three chapters of the book to realize that he didn't really know God. Uh, even though he knew of him, I think that's how a lot of us are. We know of God, but we don't really comprehend just how big and how great God really is. Uh, I mean, we, we really can't fathom that. It's just, I mean, when you talk about the atom, it's like, how could that just be a chance? Something that happened by chance. I mean, something so so small and yet so powerful could just be created that the ability to understand the, the limbs of God is, is not within our ability, but I would argue that there is sufficient information, as I said before, in the Bible to know God sufficiently to know how to live our lives. It's not like we got shortchanged. Yep. Did, did did you have something? No. I thought. You, yes, you. I thought you raised your hand. Okay. How about? Can God And you thought I might try to answer that. That would be weak if you could. Yeah. So he cannot. Because God is not weak. He's infinitely strong. Oh, so he cannot. Do, there's something that he, he cannot do? Himself. He can do all things that are good. There he goes. He got tied into it. He got hooked. Don't get hooked. God does all his holy will. What, what about when you, when you, when you think about uh, the infinite nature of God. I mean, how hard does anybody, how hard does any of you try to comprehend at least what that, how that can be applied to your life? How, how does it affect your life? Does anybody try to understand? Carol? I was just going to say, all these attributes, to me, it's very comforting. You know, when you know that you can rely on God no matter what. It might look bad, but God, I mean, God's God's in control. Very, um, I don't know, it's just really reassuring and can give you peace and allow you to have joy in a hard situation because you know yeah. God doesn't change. You know, He's all powerful, He's omniscient, He's good, He's holy, He's wise. It's just, I don't know, it's very comforting. So, so who can say what, what uh, in different words, what Carol just said? John. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking along the same lines that you know, God can change. saying, I think 
collect together, it puts us in a place where we can truly you know, put our weight on what God says to us, his promises. We can cling to Christ. We, can, we know that he alone is good and he alone is true. You know, he will do exactly what he says he will do. So that's, that is very comforting. I mean, we have no hope. God is our rock. Um, build your house on the rock, not on the sand. The sand is going to shift, change. The rock will not. Yes? Um, in, the, in the lesson, you were, sermon, you were talking about how God is omniscient, so he doesn't learn anything, and God doesn't change. So what do we do when we come to text for it? Like in, uh, early on in Genesis, when God looked down and he saw that all mankind was evil, and it sounds like God is learning. Or if it says, like, a, you know, God changed his mind at this place here, Abraham is trying to barter with God about uh, judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. How do we respond to those passages in Scripture that seem as if God is changing or learning something? Um, I, I would normally just ask my pastor, so if you can just uh, <laughs> tell us the answer. Um, <laughs> So, we we'll see how Nick does. We're we're, we're looking <laughs> we're looking at a, a a multitude of verses. We're 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 we read the whole Bible and we read constantly um, that God is not learning everything. That He knows everything. So it doesn't say that He did not know what was going to happen. But he is showing, and we didn't get into anthropomorphisms or anything like that tonight, but um, he's, he's showing his emotions the way we understand emotions. He can show grief, and that is showing grief, and we understand ourselves uh, perhaps what grief is all about. But it, it doesn't say that he learned something and we can't impose our limited character upon an unlimited infinite being. Language is not infinite as God is. So our language is going to have limits. The way that he communicates to us must come down to a level that we understand it. And that means that at times, when we read of what happens with God, it's going to, we're going to try to understand it from our frame and from our perspective, uh, but that doesn't mean that he is just like us. Sometimes the scripture is going to use language that makes it appear as though God is like us, but it's only because there isn't a better language available for us to understand what God infinitely is. So though God is identifying what's going on, it's not like he didn't know it before, but he's calling it out to us, and so from our perspective, it seems as though he sees he perceives when in reality he's always known but this is the moment that he's acting upon and because he has a perfect plan and everything is laid out before him the way that it should be um, he makes it happen in perfect time but it, it is hard for us I mean yes. who else is intimidated by some of these these concepts that just seem so big it's almost like we're like okay Ross it's your turn to teach and you're gonna teach that we can't know all this stuff, so teach us about it, right? <laughs> it, may, it might be helpful to think of it like this. Like, let's say you're going to Paris, and you're going to have three days in Paris. So you get on the plane, you fly over there, you land, you get into your hotel, you put all your stuff in there, and they've got 
for you, kind of like a visitor's guide for Paris. And you start to look through it and you're just overwhelmed because there's so much to see. I mean, there's the Louvre and there's Arc de Triomphe and there's all these different pieces of history and all these places that you can eat and all this culture and you just get overwhelmed. You're thinking to yourself, I'm never gonna be able to see all of this in the three days that I have. So would you just stay in your hotel room for the three days and order room service and watch TV and then go home because it's too big? No, you wouldn't do that. You'd get out there and you'd soak up as much as you could. And would there be a huge amount that you don't see? Absolutely, but whatever you see of Paris would be a wonderful blessing to you. So as believers, we have to know that the object of our affection and our pursuit of him is gonna be unending because there's so much to know. But you don't just stay in your hotel room and just think, well, I'll let somebody else think about those things. They're too lofty for me. No, you go out and you, you soak up every bit that you can perceive. You make the most of your time that God has given to you to know him and to understand him. And you rejoice in the fact that it's an endless, it's an endless display of power and glory and goodness. And as long as you study him, you're going to learn new things. You're going to, in, in, you're going to appreciate him more. And so hopefully that will help you to see that this, isn't, this wasn't meant to be like an all-encompassing display of who God is. It couldn't be. But it is in many ways to point you to the scriptures that do reveal what we can know of God and to help you to desire to capture that and to, to take hold of it.